Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here. We hope that you feel blessed by today's message from our lead pastor, Greg Fraser. I'm going to continue in the book of Hebrews today. We've got just a few more uh, weeks or services on the book of Hebrews. Um, and I just love this, this incredible book. Today I want to talk about the superior priesthood of Jesus Christ. The word superior means higher in rank or status or quality. And you say, well, what is the, the priest's job? We're going to look at that today a little bit, but it's interesting to me that as we are going through the book of Hebrews, I want to remind you of something. And what I want to remind you of is that what had occurred when, after Jesus came and the Holy Spirit uh, baptized or filled the church, uh, about 10,000 or more Jewish people converted uh, from Judaism to Christianity. It was a, just an unbelievable move of God. And then those that hadn't converted began to persecute those who had been converted. And so the book of Hebrews kind of goes through that journey of how they're persecuting. And I believe one of the reasons they were being persecuted for following Jesus was the fact that Jesus' lineage was not of the tribe of Levi. And I'm going to, why I'm explaining that to you, okay. So there are 12 tribes in Israel, but one of the tribes was specifically uh, anointed and called by God to be priests, and that's the tribe of Levi. And so Jesus' tribe was the tribe of Judah. And so I can, as I'm reading all these persecutions of Christians and trying to call Jews back into following the law rather than following Jesus, one of the things they would be using is saying, well, he's not of the tribe of Levi, so how can he be a high priest? And we're going to find out today that there's actually a way, actually predicted in the Bible, though, though Jesus was not of the tribe of Levi, that he would be of a different uh, calling as the high priest of a new covenant or a new way to be right with God. And so this is why the book of Hebrews spends like four chapters on this priesthood of Jesus because it's trying to convince the Jews that, listen, Jesus is superior. He comes with a superior covenant. And I love that word superior. It means higher in rank or status or quality. And so as we finish coming through the book of Hebrews, we're going to take it into the new year because we're taking a break for Christmas to preach on Christmas. We're going to find out that Jesus opened a superior path to God, as no one else can, to make us right with God. He opened up a new way, not a way of following the law, but a way of following Him. And then He offered a superior sacrifice. And this superior sacrifice we're going to look at uh, in the coming weeks, it's so beautiful to cleanse mankind of their sins and shortcomings and guilt and fear of coming to God. But today we're going to talk about the superior priesthood. You know, this is what Jesus did. He did an incredible priesthood that made us right with God. But what's a priest's job? We're going to look at that first, to intercede for the people. But let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit's help as we walk through the Word of God today and learn some great things about our superior priest, Jesus Christ. Father, thank You for Your Holy Spirit. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your goodness, Lord. God, we are desperately broken and helplessly lost without you. But you have given us this incredible gift of your Son, 
And today, may we appreciate him even more. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to receive and respond. We pray, Father, today for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better, to know the hope that you've called us to, to know the inheritance that is ours, and to know the great power for us who believe. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. All right. Well, what's a priest's job? Priest's job, we could go through all kinds of things, but ultimately to intercede for the people, to cry out for the people. They stand in the gap and they bridge between heaven and earth, which is incredible. Uh, you know, there's a, a picture of, of, uh, of uh, Jacob in the Old Testament in, I think it's like Genesis chapter 12, and sorry, 28, Genesis 28, and um, he, he, he goes to sleep and he has this vision of a ladder, a ladder that's planted on, on earth, but it go, and it starts from heaven, and ascending and descending on this ladder, it, he saw the vision of angels and, and basically this impartation to the earth from heaven. Now, Jesus is the high priest. It's so interesting because in John 1:51 he says these words. He added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He is the latter. What he was saying is heaven becomes open to us through him. And so this ascending and descending of the angels, uh, the blessings of God, of the kingdom of God, the answers of God for your life and for my life actually come through this incredible high priest, Jesus Christ. And really priests sacrifice and lay down their lives to serve people. You know, Jesus really is a mediator between God and men. He's the bridge, you guys. A mediator is a person who attempts to make people involved in a conflict come to an agreement. He's the go-between. And so Jesus becoming a man, you guys, really bridged the gap between us and God himself, which is an incredible thing. And so we keep that in mind, this mediation that God has brought together through the high priest. And the example in the Old Testament was just men who were priests. So Hebrews 5 says, every high priest was chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and other sacrifices for their sins. He's able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to their same weakness. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. Now, amen. He offers sacrifices to be cleansed with sin. The problem with the Old Testament priests is because they were themselves sinners, the sacrifices they offered were never fully complete. And so they could never really take away the sins and the things that you and I deal with. And so that's important for us to remember. But Jesus offered a perfect sacrifice once and for all. Why? Why is Jesus the perfect priest? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons. He was sinless. He was eternal. He cannot lie. He cannot die. And amen, he never changes. 
I mean, that's a priest I want to have in my life, amen, making intercession for me. That's way better than the guy who sins himself and blows it all the time. And so I'm thankful for that. Hebrews chapter 7 says it this way, and I'm going to explain this in a moment. But the Melchizedek story provides a perfect analogy for Jesus. The priest, like Jesus is a priest like Melchizedek, not for genealogy and his descent, but the sheer force of his resurrection life, he lives. He's a priest forever in the royal order of Melchizedek. And the former way of doing things, a system of commandments that never worked the way it was supposed to, was set aside. The law brought nothing to maturity. There was another way, Jesus, a way that does work that brings us right into the presence of God and puts us in the right place. So uh, why I ha- this is an interesting chapter I'm working on or, or things I'm walking through in the book of Hebrews. There's this strange character introduced. And I'm like, do I touch this, Lord? Do I not touch this? But it's all threaded throughout the like four chapters on the priesthood of Christ. This guy named Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was the king of Salem, which is the, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, and he, was, he had no descent, he had no origin of days, and yet he shows up and he blesses Abraham, and uh, you can read that story for yourself in, in Genesis 12, and, and, and you know, obviously the one who blesses stands in a higher place than the one who's being blessed. And Abraham being the father of faith, this guy named Melchizedek comes on the scene. Some scholars believe he was a pre-incarnate Christ. He was a picture of Christ. But the Bible calls him, uh, in Psalm 110, it says, you, are, you will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then later when the law comes, suddenly they start talking about priests can only come from Levi. But Jesus, the Bible predicts that Jesus Christ will be that priest, not from the Levi tribe, but from the order of Melchizedek. God tells us in the Bible. Can you imagine this moment? God tells the Jewish people way back in the Old Testament, there's going to come a different priesthood. There's going to come a different priesthood, you guys, and an eternal priesthood and an amazing priesthood. And the book of Hebrews tells us that that priest is Jesus. That was me summarizing four chapters of Hebrews for you. (laughs) I had 60 pages of notes, and I'm like, how am I going to condense this, Lord, and make this make sense? So remember... One of the reasons I've told you about that priest, because it was so important, guys, is the Jewish people were trying to get people to stop follow Jesus. But the, the writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 guys, he was predicted in the Old Testament, and Jesus is that priest. I love that. You know, I love what Jesus has done, and he was a perfect sacrifice and open access to God to become and be in relationship with him. Now, I want you to know how great this priest is. So I'm going to read to you a scripture called from Hebrews 10. Every priest goes to work at the altar each day, offers the same sacrifices year in and year out, and never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sin, and that was it. Then he sat down right beside God and waited for all of his enemies to cave in. Take this scripture home. 
it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. Aren't you glad Jesus is your high priest? Amen. Hallelujah. Give him a hand clap. Amen. The perfect person offering the perfect sacrifice to perfect some very imperfect people. See, Jesus is the perfect priest. He intercedes for us. And all throughout the Bible, we see that Jesus is interceding. Hebrews 7.25, he always intercedes for us. In Romans 8.34, Jesus is at the right hand of God, and he's interceding for us always, even now. He's praying for you. He's crying out that you might walk in the true reality of what God has created you to be. His life revealed who God really was. Amen? That he... You know, guys, all throughout the Old Testament, there's pictures of God being taken, little snapshots, and it's revealing to us who God is. But I, I, you know, I want you to understand that that revelation was like a very unclear picture. It was like, a, it was like trying to take a picture with a camera that was completely out of focus. And every time a picture of God was revealed in the Old Testament, the, the picture got clearer and clearer, but never really became fully clear. Until God became a man in the form of Jesus Christ, came down and he was the complete revelation of God. So when you look at Jesus, you see God. That is a good high priest, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the generosity of God, the love and the mercy of God. He's a high priest who suffers for us to bring us to God. He bridges the gap as a talked to you earlier. He's that ladder to heaven. Hallelujah. He embraces us right where we're at, and this is a beautiful one. Though he is high priest and above us in every way, though he's morally perfect, though he's incredible, sinless, amazing, he doesn't ask us to crawl up to him like that's what the religion does. Religion says God is up here. You need to work harder to get up here, and then you'll be right with God. No, no, Jesus says, you're never going to make it on your own. I'm coming down into the gutter to meet you in that place. I'm going to embrace you, and then I'm going to take you on a journey of being right with God. And you're going to constantly be changing and growing and maturing, but I want you to know that I accept you right where you're at. That is so good. Amen? For those of us that have been in the gutter, that's a good thing God came and rescued us. You know, there are so many times when Jesus did this in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. He meets us in our lowly estate and He raises up with His grace and His mercy. I could speak of the woman caught in adultery. Now, back in those days, when people were caught in adultery, according to the Old Testament rules, they were stoned to death like not marijuana stone, but rock stone, okay? <laughs> they were stoned to death. And uh, so this woman gets caught and they, they come to him and they're trying to catch Jesus, amen? They're trying to catch Jesus on something. So, you know, the Old Testament, law, Moses, the law of Moses says that this woman should be put to death. Jesus, what do you say? You see, they were trying to trap him, trap him you guys. And, and they, were, they were like, well, what's he going to say? He's talking about the love of God, the mercy of God. He's always preaching about that. But now what's he going to do? Is he going to break the law of Moses? They think they have him. 
And out of nowhere, Jesus <laughs> makes a statement that I don't think they, anybody could comprehend until he spoke this statement into reality. He bows down and he starts writing in the sand. Now, we don't know what he wrote, but what we know is he said these words while he was writing, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Now, I believe he started writing their sins, but I think that he also wrote their names. He wrote their names. Now, there's actually a scriptural proof of that. Isn't that crazy? So let me read it to you. Kathy Fraser said at the end of the first service, she said, man, there's this scripture and I'd never seen this before. I said, I'm preaching that on the second. I'm going to use that. This is Jeremiah 17, 13. Crazy because we don't know what he wrote, but this gives us a hint. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Can you imagine Jesus looking at you and writing your name? He doesn't know you from Adam. He doesn't just keep you know, writing a thesaurus of names. He looks at you and says, Zachariah? Betty? <laughs> now, guys, I played in a play one time, and I played a Pharisee. And I was playing in this play, and my friend... Uh, he was playing Jesus, and it was unbelievable. I'm not kidding you. Uh, his name was Marlon. Marlon really embraced the character, and so what he had prayed before, he says, Lord, when I look at them, I want them to see what those Pharisees saw. I want them to see Jesus, and so I'm playing that, this Pharisee who's trying to condemn the woman. I'm literally in the scene of that moment, and I'm like this beard. I'm like, I'm you know, like condemning her, and, G and Marvin are, looks at me. He looks at me, and I'm not kidding you. I had to turn away. I felt such conviction, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm really, I'm on a stage with a fake beard on, freaking out here. <laughs> the point was that I, I think that they felt that. They felt because Jesus started writing their name in the dust. You guys, don't keep trusting in your own righteousness. Amen? I could speak of the diseased leper that no one would touch. You couldn't even touch. You couldn't be touched by a leper. The disease of leprosy was a death sentence. And when you got it, you were actually excluded. You were kicked out of your out of your family even, and you were sent to this place to die in the wilderness. And when you were walking and you saw somebody walking toward you, you had to shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. And people would hear that and they'd begin to move away because they were so terrified of getting this disease of leprosy. Can you imagine if you had to go around defining yourself by the sin or the part of your life that is exposed to everybody? I mean, sinner, sinner, sinner. People are running away. You put whatever sin you are, but, uh, you know, whatever thing you're dealing with, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. Jesus reached out and he touched this guy. He touched the leper. Guys, that's crazy. 
like the fear that people had about leprosy, they would, you couldn't touch a leper. They, had, they were moved away in every way, you guys. But Jesus embraces him and heals him. Now, you know, why do, we, why do we as a church do the crazy thing of, you know, people say to me, why are you celebrating Halloween? We don't celebrate Halloween. We are the light in the darkness, in the midst of the darkness, and therefore we call people who are bound into something of the revelation of things that we want them set free. Amen? Hallelujah. Listen, it's an amazing thing. In the Old Testament, when somebody clean touched something unclean, they became unclean. But in the New Testament, through Jesus Christ's power in life, somebody who is clean touches somebody unclean, and the unclean becomes clean. Amen? So pe people are always like, oh, it's such a wicked day. Listen, this is the day that the Lord has made. And you and I are the lights of the world. We don't shy away from anything. We bring the light and the goodness and the kingdom of God into that moment. Amen? Amen. That is who you are. Hallelujah. You know, we could talk about the multitude of outcasts that Jesus reached, the sinners, the foreigners, the fearful, the outcasts, the lonely and the broken. Every one of them needing to meet with Christ. Hallelujah. But I want to talk to you about a story in the Old Testament that I think encapsulates how Christ the high priest has met your life and how he has raised you up, amen, and taken you from that place of brokenness and restored you. So the story starts and begins in the book of Samuel. King David has now taken the throne and but it took him a long time to get there. I want you to understand what was happening. The, the king right before him was called King Saul. And when God sent a prophet and said to him, God is stripping the kingdom from you and he's giving it to another because Saul had greatly sinned against God. And so Saul finds out that God has anointed this young shepherd boy named David to be the next king. So you guess what Saul does? He's not giving up control, Okay when he, he's not giving up control. So for the next decade, he literally pursues David to try and kill him. He tries to stab him into a wall. When David was serving the king, David became one of his greatest generals and he, tr he tried to kill him still. Like it was crazy. David had to flee and for 10 years he's been fleeing. But now Saul and his three sons are in a battle and all of them die. And David, who was predicted to be king, suddenly is now being installed as the king. Now, here's what happens in our stories. One of Saul's sons who died, his name was Jonathan. And Jonathan and David were the best of friends. And even though Saul, his father, was trying to kill David, Jonathan loved David. Jonathan, who, you know, was really a, a, a royalty himself and a prince himself and one day could have taken the throne. He's like, no, I believe God has called David to do it. And he was his best friend. So this incredible Jonathan, it's such a picture. Jonathan is one of the most incredible people in the Bible. He's still loyal to David. And he, don't, and he doesn't dishonor his father, but he still cares for David. And so... This is our story. Now Jonathan is dead, and this is what happens in our story. 
I'm going to pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm going to read a pretty good chunk of scripture, but it should come up on the screen for you. One day David asked, now he's king, is there anyone left in Saul's family? If so, I'd like to show him some kindness in honor of Jonathan. It happened that a servant from Saul's household named Ziba was there. They called him into David's presence. The king asked, is there anyone left from the family of Saul to whom I can show godly kindness? Ziba told the king, yes, there is Jonathan's son, lame in both feet. Where is he? He's living at the home of Machir, the son of Emil in Lodabar. King David didn't lose a minute. He sent and got him from Lodabar. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, came before David, he bowed deeply, abasing himself, honoring David. David spoke his name. Mephibosheth? He answered, yes, sir. Don't be frightened, said David. I'd like to do something special for you in memory of your father, Jonathan. To begin with, I'm returning to you all the properties of your grandfather, Saul. Furthermore, from now on, you'll take all your meals at my table. Shuffling, shuffling and stammering, not looking him in the eye, Mephibosheth said, Who am I that you pay attention to a stray dog like me? Hallelujah. And Mephibosheth ate at David's table, just like one of the royal family, as the king's own sons. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, again taking all his meals, though he was lame in both feet. feet. Now why... Mephibosheth, first of all, was broken physically, emotionally, and socially. <clears throat> the story of how Mephibosheth became lame, you can read again in 2 Samuel. When a kingdom in the Old Testament turned from one king to another king, what would happen was that new king would kill all the relatives of the old, old king. He would do that so there would never be anybody trying to take away his throne. But David didn't do that. But Mephibosheth and his nursemaid at that time, Mephibosheth was about five, thought that now the child was going to be killed because David had become king. So in fear, she grabs David, sorry, grabs Mephibosheth and runs with him. And she runs and I don't know if she stumbles, falls, I don't know, but she drops Mephibosheth shattering both of his feet. And of course, they didn't have medical things like we do today. And so at that point, he becomes lame in both feet, bones shattered. We don't know what happened. It just wasn't good. So she's running because she's fearful the king will be coming for her and for Mephibosheth. But it's interesting that after David became king, Mephibosheth was, remained hidden from David for a long time. David didn't know about him. So he's hidden in this place called Lodabar. And, and, and then suddenly, do you understand that when Mephibosheth was called by David to come before the king, do you understand what he's thinking? I've been found out. I'm about to die. But let's understand 
You see, Mephibosheth, guys, is broken emotionally and socially. He's living in a place called Lodabar, which means a place of no pasture, no communication, no word, the land of nothing. Where are you from? The land of nothing. I'm from nowhere. So Peter, Peter and I were one time at a conference in a different province with a, the pastor who was leading the conference was a w- very well-known, massive uh, church pastor. He had the largest church in Canada at the time. And he meets us and says, where are you guys from? You know, I proudly say Morinville. He looks at me and he says, what a horrible name. <laughs> and I'm like, I wasn't, I didn't want, I was like, you have got to be kidding me, dude. You know, they said that about Jesus, too, from where he was from. (laughs) Amen? And things worked out pretty good for him in that town. Amen? Come on. Anyhow, sorry, that was just my flesh coming out. (laughs) He says, nowhere. Where are you from? Nowhere. This is incredible. Shuffling and stammering, not looking him in the eye. Mephibosheth said, Who am I that you would pay attention to a stray dog like me? Wow. Doesn't see himself very high, eh? Guys, Mephibosheth was a royal. He was a royal, but he saw himself like a dog. Wow. And then Mephibosheth finds unexpected favor in his brokenness. King David does the most unexpected thing to the grandson of his enemy. Doesn't kill him. He restores his fortune and wealth. He restores his family line. His land and position are restored to him. He restores him to his royal identity. He eats with the king's table like all other royal sons. Wow. Well, how does this connect to your life and my life? How does the priest Jesus be revealed through this story? How many know we all experience brokenness in our lives? Everybody. Amen? Every single one of us gets it. Strained relationships, failed dreams, shattered promises, maybe a physical or emotional challenges of some sort. Guys, do you know that sometimes brokenness can hit your life? by the decision of others. Amen? Have you ever been dropped by somebody you trusted? We live in a broken world, you guys. We see this in ourselves. Sometimes we say these words over ourselves: I'm a stray dog. Wow. But in the midst of the brokenness, the voice of the king calls us into his presence. Jesus invites us into his presence. Like the man in their story, I love it. When Mephibosheth came, the son of Jonathan, came before David, he bowed deeply, abasing himself, honoring David. Now, why is that important for your life? Because this word is a word called repentance. It's a word of where we bow down before God in our lives You see, most of us in our lives, it's our kingdom. We're in charge of us. And to follow Jesus, we have to come to a place of surrendering. 
We have to come to a place of letting go of our self-rule and saying, Christ, come and rule my life. And that's where we come into the salvation of God. It's called repentance, and it's a beautiful brokenness. You know, Luke 20, 18 says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls upon will be crushed. God is inviting us to fall upon Him with our brokenness. Amen? With the things that keep us, we think, from God. Actually, don't if we will but bring them to Him. I love Isaiah 42, verse 3. It says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm just going to tell you a little story. We used to pick reeds all the time when we were like teenagers down by the lake. Now, at first I told the first service, I said, we used to try to make flutes out of them. No, that was a lie. Can I confess something to you? We used to smoke them to see if anything would happen to us. (laughs) Sorry, mom and dad watching in heaven. That's uh... Anyway, like how stunned was that? But if you pick one that was broken, you just throw it aside and pick another one. Are you with me? So you had like a longer staff. But this scripture says, Jesus, even a bruised reed, a bent reed, he will never break. And a smoldering wick, he will never snuff out. You ever been around a candle that's smoldering, you guys? And you're like, you're dead. Thumbed it right into the wax. No, God brings it back to life. Amen? He brings it back to life, you guys. Now, here's the amazing thing. Jesus meets us right where we're at. Now, come back from me smoking a reed. i got to finish the sermon. Okay. Mephibosheth means from the mouth of shame. He saw himself as a broken person through the eyes of shame. And we are no longer called to see ourselves that way. You see, Jesus comes down to our level to meet us right where we're at. Religion calls us to climb the mountain of our shame to reach God. But God removes the mountain and the barriers and meets us on a level plane. You can read about that. You know, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is a perfect, it's like a perfect Bible. It's a perfect picture of the Bible. The first 39 chapters are about the Old Testament and and judgment. And then from the 40th chapter on, it's about Christ's coming. Now, why am I telling you that? The Old Testament, right, is 39. Chapter 39 books. The New Testament is 27. And the book of Isaiah is 66, which adds up to 39 and 27. It's crazy, eh? It's all there, this picture. So in the 40th chapter, it predicts the coming of Jesus Christ And in this moment, Isaiah 40 says, prepare for God's arrival. Make the road straight and smooth, a highway fit for our God. Fill in the valleys, level the hills, smooth out the ruts, clear out the rocks. When God's bright glory will shine on everyone, we'll see it just as God was said. Guys, I'm telling you, God has come down and and leveled the valley of your life. He's leveled the mountains that have kept him away from you. That's what Christ did, the high priest Jesus. 
He eliminated every barrier to keep you from coming, to, kept you from coming to God so that you could find a highway to God, a smooth path, an incredible place. Amen? Jesus gives us a new identity as well. We're new creations in, in Christ. You know, Mephibosheth shuffled and stammered and could not look Christ in the eye. But you know, when we come to Christ, He adopts us into, our, into His family. He makes us sons and daughters of the King. He gives us a new inheritance, a new identity, and brings us into His eternal kingdom. And it doesn't even stop there. There's one more thing Jesus does. Jesus gives us broken people a new job to do. 1 Peter 2.9 says this about you and me. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you know that you're a priest of God now? In the royal order of Jesus. He has saved you and he says, now I've saved you, you've got a job to do. You are now the priests that bring and declare the goodness of God to this world. Revelations 5, 9 and 10 tells us. They sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to serve our God. And they will reign on earth. Amen? Hallelujah, you guys. Christ came for us to experience this incredible new ministry that we're called to perform on earth. He chose us to be royalty, holy people, holy nation, to adopt us. It's incredible what He has done. Thanks for joining us today. For more on our messages or information about our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. We hope you have a great week.